This episode of the If You Ask Betty podcast is brought to you by Alternative Media. Are you working on a massive project and need some help? A&M offers a wide range of professional services from e-learning and training development, comics, graphic novels, 3D model creation, and virtual reality experiences. Follow Alternative Media on Twitter at A-N-M underscore tweets to stay updated or visit alter-native-media.com today to set up a free consultation. Welcome to the If You Ask Betty podcast. This podcast is designed to discuss all kinds of development topics for all kinds of learning professionals. I'm your host, Betty Danowitz, and today we're talking with Louise Sportelli about coaching skills for emerging leaders. Hi, Louise. Hi, Betty. Thanks for being on the podcast today. Could you help our listeners get to know you a little bit better? Can you give us like a quick intro all about you? As you said, I'm a leadership development coach and trainer. I spend about 20% of my time coaching clients one-on-one, and the rest of my time is devoted to training emerging leaders in coaching skills so they can have more productive conversations with their team. And my background includes stints working in a variety of industries, including international reinsurance, software development, outdoor recreation, and personal finance. I have a master's in adult education from Seattle University, and I am a certified coach with the International Coaching Federation. When I'm not working, I am an avid alpine skier and hiker and traveler. And if I can travel to ski or hike, that's uh, that's the best thing. That sounds so fun. Not the skiing part. Ski, no, pass on that. <laughs> but the hiking part sounds really fun. I, um, I went skiing one, one time in my life. And that was enough. I had ski boots that did not fit very well. And so they were super painful. And I was just a kid. I was in high school, so I didn't know any better. And then I would hold the the rope that was supposed to pull me up the bunny hill. And I couldn't hold on to it. (laughs) It used to be a lot more difficult. Now it's easier. Everything's easier. The equipment, the lift. I believe that. I believe that because this was probably 25-ish years ago. Yeah. So I did not have a great first experience and therefore will have not had a second experience with skiing. Maybe I was going to say maybe now that I'm older, but now I think I might would break a hip. So I think it's never too late. I taught skiing for 22 years. I think if you went and got a really good instructor and the right equipment, you'd have a great time. I'm not saying I'm adding it to my bucket list, but I am now more considering it than I was before. Be open to the possibilities. <laughs> I will be open to the possibilities. So thank you for telling us a little bit about you. And today we're going to be chatting about coaching skills for emerging leaders. And so I just want to clarify that for the listeners. We are talking about newly promoted leaders and managers. And I use both words because you can be a manager and not be leading anybody and you can be a leader and not manage people. So I think it's important that we kind of keep that in mind. Newly promoted leaders and managers who now need to coach team members and direct reports that they didn't have to coach before. So that's kind of what we're looking looking at. I know, Louise, that you have a passion for this group of new leaders. And, and you mentioned that you you offer a development course specifically for teaching emerging leaders how to coach their teams. So, so I want to start with the question, tell us about what drove you to create something like this. What was it that sort of fueled your passion around it? 
it really was kind of accidental. Starting in about 2009, 2010, I was struggling to start my own business and I was offered the opportunity to be a contract facilitator to deliver coaching skills training on behalf of a company out of England that had a big contract with a big telecommunications company. And I ended up doing quite a bit of that work over the next few years uh, up and down the West Coast. And the program included a three-day instructor-led training and then in-person observations and mentoring and a proficiency check at the end. And we worked pretty closely with the people that we were um, training over a 10 to 12 week period. It was really gratifying um, because the participants were so thankful to improve their coaching skills and their communication skills with their teams. They said it changed the way they interact with their people and they had um, considerable performance metrics uh, at, that showed that, that it was making a difference, that people were improving. Uh, in 2016, I successfully responded to a request for a proposal put out by Washington State Department of Social and Health Services asking for a similar program. And so I created a program for them and that morphed into the program I offer called Coach Your Team to Success. So how about like, what would you say is the time frame between start to finish that that program sort of came about? I created it in 2016. And okay, okay, yeah. I've been delivering it since then. So about four years for you to sort of take this little brainchild that you had and, and morph it into something that's, you know, definitely applicable across industries and across different teams and different types of businesses. I love that you talk about how you had such great success and you saw how excited they were that they had these new skills. Because I know for me, for a lot of the people listening, that's sort of the part that keeps us going. I'll tell you right now, in learning and development, it is not about the money. If <laughs> no, it's not. I mean, if it's if it's about the money, can you get me into wherever it is that you work? Because that is typically not what's going on. It's really about uh, just about everybody I've met has a passion to help other people. And so I love hearing that, that it worked really well. Over the years, I've gotten wind of an idea and I'm like, oh, I love that. It, it almost reaches up and grabs a hold of your shirt collar and says, okay, you're going to do this now. Uh, so I'm excited to hear that that's kind of what started you on this, this journey. We talked a little bit about coaching for new emerging leaders. Why do you think that that's not the first thing that they're taught, like out the gate? I mean, because I know from my experience, when I start talking about coaching with new leaders, typically I'm talking to them maybe four or five months down the road and they're like, yeah, I have no idea. Give me, give me, give me, give me. Why do you think that's not higher on the list of priorities to get them started? I honestly don't know, but I think it's not even on the radar for most organizations. I think they focus very much on making sure that their new you know, people managers learn the HR things they need to know and what reports they need to submit and sort of all the nuts and bolts things, but they don't even really consider that there's a lot more that managers need to be successful and to be successful with their team. Um, I think it's been the norm that when you get promoted to a supervisor or manager position, you um, simply do what the last person in that role did. And mm -hmm. I often tell people that learning to manage people is a lot like learning to parent. You tend to do what you know, and that's what your manager or your parent did. Yeah. And that's not always the best approach. No. Yeah. <laughs> we know um, that from parenting. And we, managing definitely. Is the same way. It's so funny that you make that um, correlation because I think that a lot, that it's a lot like 
parenting, but but you also realize that it's like parenting adults, which I'm not quite there yet. I'm close, you know. So you have to understand that they are adults, so that you're not, so they don't feel like you're treating them like a child, even though really you're kind of using some of the same techniques that you use with children sometimes when you're managing people. But that's a different podcast. So <laughs> well, we could get into coaching teenagers, which I've had a lot of people that I've oh. trained in coaching skills take the the skills home and use it with their families and. Oh, let's put a pin in that. And so the, those of you that are listening, we're going to talk about that or towards the end of the podcast. So, mm-hmm. uh, so now they all now they all have to stay on and listen to the rest because they want to hear that. <laughs> what I found is that at least at least for the businesses I've worked in, which is largely financial, subject matter experts become managers. So you get really good at what you do, and so the next logical step is to make that person a manager or a leader on the team. Sometimes sometimes different companies use different words. You know, sometimes there's a manager and a team lead. Um, but either way, you're good at what you do, so they go ahead and they promote you. And while I know that that feels good on the ego and it t- typically increases your 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 paycheck, if they just take you and put you in that role and then now start saying, oh, by the way, you have to write performance reviews. Oh, by the way, don't forget to go coach your people. They don't tell you how to do that. I think, I mean, is that something that you have found? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think larger, big, big companies tend to have training in this area. I rare that you have a company where they actually send you out to learn what you need to do to communicate well with your teams. I think they just dump you in at the deep end. And I don't even think they realize they're doing it. I think no. they think, oh, we finally got, you know, a warm body in this spot. So things will get better and hopefully they can figure it out. And I will, I will train them soon and soon turns into 90 days, which turns into six months. And then all of a sudden the team is sort of floundering and it's because nobody's been coaching them. I think when people do start to coach, if they haven't been properly trained or they, maybe they've never received good coaching in the past, they start out by making lots of mistakes. What would you say are some of the common mistakes that you see new leaders make when it comes to coaching their people? I think the first one is, it goes right back to what you were talking about. People are really good at their job, so they're promoted. And one of the first, you know, mistakes they make, I think, is thinking that coaching is telling their people how to do something. So, Basically, they're telling them what they think they should do to be successful. And the problem is, is that few adults really like being told what to do. So <laughs> and subconsciously, most of us balk at that. You know, if we're told, hate oh, if you do it this way, then that will work for you. Well, right. that automatically it's like telling a teenager that automatically they're like, uh, no, I'm going to do it a different way or that's not going to work for me or there's some problem with that. So I think that's the first mistake they make. Another Common problem is not holding people accountable for commitments they make to do better. This sort of gets into the whole process of coaching. It can be difficult if the coach doesn't help the coachee create a really well thought out actionable plan or if they haven't written it down for future reference. And a third common error is neglecting to acknowledge what people are doing well. Most workers are doing the majority of their jobs well and their successes need to be celebrated. And I think too often people go into a coaching session or a one-on-one 
and it's all about what's going wrong or what they need to do better at. And there isn't enough time spent on all the things they are doing well. So people can get discouraged. They absolutely. And my eyes just lit up. My board just lit up when you said that, because I think the biggest mistake anybody makes in coaching is that they don't coach their high performers and they don't coach to what people are doing well. Their high performers are doing really well. So they're like, okay, well, I'm going to spend all this time with this low performer. I mean, I think you should spend time with them. I think you should coach them, but don't forget about those high performers. They want your attention too. I totally agree. That's something that I'm forever. I feel like I'm always, you know, standing on my soapbox and hollering out, like, don't forget your high performers, especially as a lot of us are moving into virtual environments, whether we like to or not right now, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's even more important that as we're coaching, we're talking to all of our employees and that we're talking not only about the things that they didn't do correctly, but let's talk about that thing that you did correctly. Not only did you do what we expected of you, but maybe you did a little bit more, or maybe you just did what we expected of you. And we need to tell you and validate that you did what we expected of you. I think that it's like people see that as not essential. And so they skip it. Absolutely. I And I've seen studies where it shows that this all ties into employee engagement. One of the mm-hmm. things that really creates um, good employee engagement and increases motivation is having your manager spend time with you, whether or not you're a Uh, you know, not performing well, or you're a high performer. So high performers need time as well. And Mm -hmm. very often they have a lot uh, that they want to discuss. It might be, you know, they might be interested in professional development. So they need coaching in that area, or they might have ideas for um, uh, how to make things better within the organization. There's a lot that can be gained from coaching high performers. Agreed. And I, and I think that they're unfortunately neglected mm-hmm. um, more often than not. One of my favorite authors, Marcus Buckingham, uh, he has a he has a great little like short video on YouTube about coaching and feedback. What Marcus says, he says, you know, um, basically the difference between feedback and coaching, you know, a lot of times people throw feedback over a fence like they're throwing a grenade over the fence. Right. And so they here's your feedback and they throw it and it's he goes, it's great because, you know, he's cute as a button. So it's kind of fun to see him make a little explosion sound. He's like, but that's not what, you know, that's not what people want. They, they don't want your feedback. They want your attention. They want you to come around the other side of the fence and stand next to them and listen to them and talk with them and look them in the eye. And that was eye opening for me because that is what coaching is about. Coaching is about attention. It's not about me telling you as the employee what I think you should do. It's about me listening to you and asking the right questions to help you get to that. And I totally agree with everything you just said. (laughs) So without giving away your secret sauce, what would you say are some main components of coaching that new leaders have got to be aware of, that they have to make sure that they're thinking about as they're starting to coach their people? Well, I think there's a variety of different things. Um, You know, you mentioned um, listening and asking questions. I think those are really important. I also think it helps if new leaders use a coaching model to structure their one-on-one sessions. Uh, You know, a coaching model is a roadmap that keeps the conversation from becoming just a chat. Mm -hmm. It, you know, it identifies a clear outcome at the beginning, which is the creation of a goal or an action plan for improvement and focuses on what the coachee, you know, the person being coached believes they can do differently in order to achieve the desired outcome. So it helps the leader collaborate rather than being directed. Oh, I love that. Oh, say that again. It helps the leader collaborate with the worker rather than being directed. I love it. I'm so excited. This 
gets into the neuroscience again, which, you know, is all about um, we're all more motivated to achieve plans we create ourselves. So the more autonomy that the coach gives to the coachee to come up with the solution, it, you know, the better it makes it more the coachees. And so they own it and they're more motivated to achieve it. Oftentimes people don't like using a coaching model at first because it seems scripted. But mm-hmm. over time, the coach learns how to make it their own. And I like to say it's a little bit like driving, learning to drive across town. A new driver needs explicit directions how to get from A to B. But over time, they learn that they can take a detour or a more scenic route and still end up at the same destination. And I think using a coaching model is sort of the same way. Over time, you figure out what you can do to, to still end up in the same spot at the end. And I, I like that analogy because if anybody who's ever used GPS um, or or back in the day when we used to like go and um, what was it, MapQuest it and then print it out and take it with us, like MapQuest, Google Maps, Waze will get you almost there. Like it will get you within like 500 feet and then you got to figure out the rest. And it in, in a country setting, that's not so hard. But when you're in an urban city and you're within 500 feet and there's unmarked buildings, that can be kind of tough. Yep. But once you've been there once, you remember it the next time you go. Okay, I remember that there was an unmarked building. And yeah, so that's, I agree with you, the coaching model, a coaching model will help with that. And I think a lot of times, like you said, people are, they're hesitant because they think, I don't want to sound like a robot. So my -hmm. answer is, well, don't follow the model, but make it your own, make it warm, make it your own wording. And that, that will help you not sound like a robot. Plus you're really, unless you actually talk like a robot, you're pretty much not going to sound like a robot. You may end up using words that you don't normally use in everyday conversation, but I think that's okay. And eventually Mm -hmm. you'll be able to swap out some of those words uh, for how you normally speak. And I actually, I think there's some comfort for the person being coached to have some idea of what's going to happen every time. You know, there's a, I agree. there's a certain level of comfort to routine. And if they know, well, I know she's going to ask me about this. And I know I'm going to have to provide that. Then they become more of a partner in the whole process. Absolutely. And the, the model is not only good for the, the coach E, but it's good for the coacher. And it's also mm-hmm. good for anybody who is observing the, the coach to try to help them. Right. So, cause sometimes yes. the coach needs to be coached and it's mm-hmm. helpful if they know and understand what model it is that they're following so that they can point out, hey, you skipped this step or you you switched these two steps. It may, you may find it helpful to revisit it or something like that. Absolutely. And I've done a ton of those coaching mentor sessions. So new leaders, new managers, they got lots of skills that they need to work on when they start their new position. Um, so we talked about a couple of those things. So other than coaching, though, um, not to get us too far off track, but just out of curiosity, what else do you feel that they should work on sooner than later? Because I'm sure as you're talking to folks about coaching, other things come up. I'm just interested in what else do you think that they should be working on? In my experience, having taught, you know, coach your team to success dozens of times now, the thing that scares most new leaders is difficult conversations. Mm-hmm. And um, I've gotten so many questions about that that I've actually added a segment into Coach Your Team to Success. The coaching conversation, you want to be as collaborative as possible, but in a so-called difficult conversation, it's best to be as direct as possible. Not every 
conversation is a coaching conversation. You have to kind of figure out when, what's one and what's the other. Other things I think it's important to learn are active listening skills, creating powerful questions, and providing effective feedback. And another topic I inter include in my training is information about what motivates workers. Spoiler alert, if you don't already know this, external pressure doesn't work nearly as well as tapping into their own internal motivation. Oh, that's good and rich. That could be its own podcast. We might have to do that one in the fall. <laughs> I think all of those things, it's interesting how all of those connect in with the coaching. So I can see how they're sort of on the margins or the peripheral of your conversations around coaching. Difficult conversations is something that I hear every time I ask people, every single time I say, what is it that we can do to help you? And they say, we need help with difficult conversations. Again, I think it probably comes down to they need a model so that mm -hmm. they feel secure that what they're saying, they're saying well and in the right order and in a way that will be non-abrasive. For example, I'm a certified instructor for Crucial Conversations. Mm -hmm. Lo love the Crucial Conversations model. So people will come to me sometimes knowing that and ask me, okay, I have this com difficult conversation coming up. You know, what do I do? And I'll sort of talk them through the Crucial Conversations model. And they're like, at the end, they're like, I feel so much better about this conversation. And it's just that preparation of being able to go in there and at least get started in the right way. And then keeping in mind things like, what do you really want out of this conversation rather than just trying to win? So yeah, so difficult conversations, it's awesome that you've added that in because it absolutely 100% connects to what it is that we're trying to do with coaching. A lot of times coaching conversations are super fun and they're exciting and we're giving people recognition. And a lot of times they're not. We're telling them they're not doing things right and it's uncomfortable for everybody. So if they have that model and they have some of those other skills, it can really help. How can those of us that are not people leaders, but rather those of us who are coworkers, we're mentors, we're friends, how can we use coaching skills to help other people? Coaching is all about helping others create their own solutions. So the one thing every, everyone can do is default to asking before telling. When someone, you know, a friend, a coworker, a family member starts telling us about an issue they have, our first inclination tends to be to, to offer advice or a solution. So rather than doing that, being curious and asking questions results in two great things. It helps the person think more deeply and often come up with their own solution. And it also deepens the relationship because it shows you're a person who listens and cares. And actually, even before doing that, it's good practice to ask if the person wants to figure out a solution or do they just want to vent? Because sometimes mm -hmm. people just want to vent. And if it's the latter, then you can just practice being a good listener. Yeah. Be a good listener. Sometimes that takes a lot, a lot of patience to listen, but it's so important, right? It's a great way to use those coaching skills when you're helping others. Oh yeah. I think one of the reasons coaching has resonated with me so much is because I am, uh, I've been accused of being bossy more than once. <laughs> and so I finally figured out what I could do differently. And it's all about asking questions and not telling people what you think they should do. Yeah, you got to, first of all, you need to set them straight. You're not bossy. You have leadership skills. Yeah, I agree because I also have been called the B word bossy <laughs> more than once. And if somebody wants to say it nicer, they'll be like, you're really direct. You're, you know, you're super straightforward and blah, 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 because I'm like, whatever, I don't receive your feedback. But you're right. Like one way to soften that if you're somebody who is like us and tends to be more direct and always knows exactly what it is that you should do, 
to be more coach-like, I need to help you figure out what it is that you should do. I've practiced that a lot with my kids. I have a 17-year-old and a 12-year-old. They're both uh, two daughters. And I've had to practice that a lot, especially as they get older. Because when you're little, you tell them what to do because they don't know, right? So right. those of you who are on the podcast that have little ones and you know, I've heard people say this before. We just don't go out to eat. It's just too much. They're, they're just a disaster. Well, honey, you have to take them out to eat and teach them how to behave in a restaurant. Kids are not born knowing how to behave in a restaurant. You have to teach them that. And so it makes sense that when our kids are younger, that we're telling them what to do. But at some point, you have to stop telling and start asking so that they're using that critical thinking. It can be easy if you have little kids at home to go to work and tell people what to do too. Because it's just, that's just the way you operate. <laughs> it's your default mode it's at that your stage default. of life. <laughs> yeah, I totally get it. But what we want to do is, like you said, is ask those questions instead and try to get them to the same conclusion. Starting early with kids is probably good. You might have to eventually give them the answers, but, uh, you know, it helps them become better critical thinkers. Tell me now about teenagers. This is a good segue into the teenager comment that I said we were putting a pin and we're taking the pin out. So tell us a little bit about the work that you've done with coaching and teenagers and that type of stuff. The program I have is is more than one day. And so I've had situations where I have taught people the coaching model. So this is how you need to do it. And this is, you know, ask questions, don't tell them. And then they mm -hmm. go home and they have a conversation with their teenager or maybe their spouse and they come back the next way and day and they're like, you know, that really helped. I had a much more productive conversation with my 15-year-old. They came up with some answers and we reached the same conclusions and there wasn't a lot of conflict. And, you know, ask again, asking people to create their own solutions can be very effective. If you're a people manager and you don't know much about coaching skills, I encourage you to find out more about it and you can contact me, of course, uh, but it's it can really change the way you interact with your team. I agree. Okay, so as we're wrapping up, I do want to ask you a couple of quick questions that I ask all of my guests. First question is, how do you align your passion with your work? I would say that I really did this years ago when I switched careers. And uh, I was at a point where I was... I knew that what I was doing was not what I wanted to be doing. And I asked myself, what do I really love doing? And what I really loved doing was teaching skiing to adults. So I ended up pursuing a master's degree in adult education and training. The rest has sort of followed from that. Nowadays, one of the things I really love about what I do is I love working with my clients, but I also like having the flexibility of having my own business. My husband and I like to travel, so that gives me the opportunity to not be beholden to anybody else to be there nine to five, you know, 50 weeks a year. I like that answer. What is the message that you want to get out to our listeners? What would you want them to remember? It can be related to this topic or not. I think the number one thing I would ask them to remember is ask more tell less. If you read up on some of the most loved leaders in business today, not necessarily the most successful, but the most loved, you usually find that rather than telling people what to do, they ask their staff what they think works best. That is awesome advice. So how can people connect with you if they want to after the show? My email address is sportelliLS at gmail.com. And I also have a website, louisesportelliconsulting.com. Well, thank you so much, Louise Sportelli, for sharing your thoughts today. And thank you so much, listeners. Watch for another episode of the If You Ask Betty podcast soon. Peace out. Thank you for having me.